Looking back on the week that was with a razor wit, irreverent humour and profound political and cultural insights, this is The James McPherson Show. Black millionaire lives matter. So the NBA will not display the social justice messages on the court or on the player singlets next year. Television ratings for NBA games are at record lows this year, with people complaining the world's premier basketball league has become too political. The NBA embraced the Black Lives Matter movement, only to find that fans weren't keen to watch men earning millions of dollars for throwing a ball in a metal hoop complain about how oppressed they are. Moreover, fans find it hard to stomach being hectored about the importance of diversity from a sport in which 75% of players are African-American. And then there's the hypocrisy of a sporting league that damns America for civil rights abuses while cozying up to communist China in return for billions of dollars. The league has seen its viewership drop enormously during the NBA playoffs with ratings down 20% on the previous year. A poll in September found that 38% of fans said they were not watching because the league had become, quote, too political. Things got worse from there when game one of the NBA finals between LA Lakers and Miami Heat recorded the lowest ever viewership for a finals game. That record was broken just a couple of days later when ratings for game two were lower still and was broken again just days later when game three attracted even fewer fans. NBA bosses have belatedly realised that the league's edgy, woke stance on social issues is simply unsustainable as a business model. People don't want to watch politically correct basketball. And so last week, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver announced that BLM messages would likely not be displayed in 2021. He said, and I quote, I understand those people who are saying, we're on your side, but I want to watch a basketball game. In other words, basketball players need to focus on being basketball players rather than social justice warriors who happen to dribble a ball. As the sports ratings plummet, advertising revenue dries up, owner profits go down, and finally black millionaire contracts fall. NBA players will know all about oppression if their multi-million dollar player contracts are cut in half, and so woke ball will be abandoned in 2021 because black millionaire lifestyles matter. The federal budget's failure to fund adult remedial math will surely hurt the future prospects of Labor MP Joanne Ryan. Ryan, who was a school principal before succeeding Julia Gillard in the seat of Layla, could have done with some maths tutoring last week after tweeting her outrage at the government's budget. Someone earning $45,000 will pay the same amount of tax as someone on $120,000, she bewailed. It was difficult to know whether the opposition whip's tweet was embarrassingly mistaken or willfully deceitful. A federal politician should know the difference between the rate of tax and the amount of tax. And a former school teacher and principal would surely know that X percent of $45,000 is very different to X percent of $120,000. According to the government's budget website, though on a similar tax rate, 
A person earning $45,000 a year will pay $4,812 in tax, while a person earning $120,000 will pay $31,687 in tax. It's not exactly the example of outrageous inequality and unfairness that Ryan portrayed it to be. Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers might like to put his doctorate to use and explain to his Labor colleagues that the percentage of tax paid and the amount of tax paid are not the same things. Ryan's failure to understand basic math and tax law was surpassed only by the number of people who appeared to believe her tweet. The morning after her tweet appeared, it had been retweeted more than 800 times and liked more than 2,000 times. That's me on a measly $45,000, wrote one Twitter user in reply to Ms. Ryan. The wage of a woman in a caring profession, that's totally effed. Others, outraged at the Liberals, but who should have actually been outraged at Ms. Ryan's terrible maths, wrote, ain't that the liberal way? And my stomach just turned over. Anxiety is rising. Well, your stomach would turn if Ryan was accurate. It would mean a person earning $45,000 would be slugged $31,687 in tax, putting them on a tax rate of around 70%. But of course, Ryan's tweet was about as accurate as former Labor Treasurer Wayne Swadden's surplus predictions, which is to say it was completely inaccurate. If Labor ever wants to be trusted with the economy, then Labor MPs might want to first learn how tax rates work, or at least learn basic maths. To that end, my 15-year-old son is available to tutor the good Ms. Ryan. He will charge $30 for a half-hour session, and if she pays with a $50 note, he will, of course, return to her $5 in change. Taylor Swift, who's made a career of writing songs about her terrible choices in men, has officially endorsed Joe Biden for president. In news shocking to no one, the pop singer has told V Magazine she'll be voting Democrat in the US election. Taylor Swift's announcement means Americans now only need to hear from 15 more celebrities before they'll have enough information to be able to vote. In an interview just published, Swift said, the change we need most is to elect a president who recognizes that people of color deserve to feel safe and represented. Women deserve the right to choose what happens to their bodies and the LGBTQIA plus community deserves to be acknowledged and included. I'll be voting for Joe Biden for president. If only all those 12 to 15-year-old girls who listened to her music were old enough to vote. CNN described Taylor Swift's endorsement of Biden as, and I quote, fearless, which had more to do with the fact that she once recorded an album entitled Fearless than with the courage it must surely have taken to do what most of Hollywood has already done. Swift cannot lose by declaring she'll vote for Biden. If Biden wins, she can say she backed the winner. And if things don't work out with Joe Biden, at least she can say she was on the right side of woke and she can write a song about breaking up with him too. Taylor Swift is a gifted musician. She's got 10 Grammy Awards to prove it. But having a great set of pipes doesn't give her any special political insight. In fact, her celebrity likely makes her less informed than she might otherwise be. Celebrities typically live in an alternate reality with little understanding of what everyday people have to endure. Taylor should walk the streets of New York or Chicago or Portland without her security team and then explain how she'll vote. The media breathlessly report the pronouncements of celebrities as if expertise in one area of life, in Taylor Swift's case, recording songs, makes them an authority on all areas of life. 
but Swift's political views are no more relevant or newsworthy than the political views of her local school's janitor. If my child swallows a coin, I'm not calling my accountant. Don't get me wrong, my accountant is brilliant with coins. He can stack them in neat piles, tell me how many there are and which accounts they belong in. But just because he's good at counting coins doesn't mean he's qualified to remove them from my toddler's throat. And just because Taylor Swift can hold a tune doesn't mean she has anything to say about the presidential election. I'm not having a shot at Taylor Swift to have having an opinion. I'm having a shot at the media for reporting her opinion as if somehow it carries weight. If we insist that the person fixing our pipes knows something about plumbing and that the person repairing our car knows something about engines, why do we not insist that the people giving the media, uh, the, the people the media gives a platform to instruct us about voting know something about, you know, politics? Forget that a bungled hotel quarantine program led to the deaths of 800 largely helpless Victorians. The real scandal is that Peter Credlin dared to ask questions about who was responsible. Twitter went into meltdown after the newspaper columnist and television host grilled Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews in a tense exchange at his daily coronavirus press conference on Friday. Her crime was to have made the Victorian Premier uncomfortable. Never mind the dead. Peter Credlin is not an accredited journalist and should have been thrown out of Dan Andrews' presser, tweeted Louise Gill, whose comment quickly received thousands of likes. Apparently, our elected officials can only be questioned by state-sanctioned, accredited journalists, by which the Twitter mob presumably means socialist Andrews-supporting ALP card-carrying puppets, or, if you prefer, the ABC. But so-called accredited journalists have sat meekly through 98 press briefings over the last months of disease and lockdown, ogling the Premier as he's trampled civil rights and obfuscated over who was responsible for citizen deaths. They've seemed more interested in who Daniel Andrews is backing in the footy than why after $5.4 million spent on an inquiry, we're still clueless as to who caused the death of 800 people and sent Australia's second most populous city into a draconian lockdown. Peter Credlin showed up at one press briefing. That's all it took, just a few minutes to expose the utter inadequacy of much of the Melbourne media. Wouldn't phone records reveal who it was that phoned Police Chief Graham Ashton to advise private security guards be used at quarantine hotels? And wouldn't it clarify things if the Premier and other key figures provided those phone records? Good questions. But, but wait, more important than who made the fateful decision over hotel security is to decide whether Peter Credlin is a real journalist who should be allowed to ask such questions. Veteran Courier-Mail columnist Terry Sweetman tweeted, Sky can employ anyone it likes, but after 50 years of experience, I am offended Peter Credlin is called a journalist. Real journalists have shoveled shit reported courts, covered councils or parliaments, and made educated decisions about the legality of what they write or say. Well, sure, and a real journalist wouldn't argue about who is or is not a real journalist when questions about who was responsible for the death of 800 Australians remain unanswered. They'd put the public's right to know, accountability, ahead of who has what piece of paper. Perhaps the giveaway that Credlin was not a real journalist was that she sounded well-informed, well-researched and determined to get answers. 
Real journalist Mike Carlton tried to assure the I Stand With Dan crowd that Credlin's questions would not upset the status quo in Daniel Andrews' Victoria. He wrote, Look, Credlin doesn't matter. She has an audience smaller than the crowd at a weekly country race meeting. She's utterly irrelevant. If a conservative commentator dismissed, say, ABC host Lee Sales as utterly irrelevant, he would be immediately called a misogynist. Peter Credlin may be a woman, but she's the wrong kind of woman. So the tolerant mob did not hesitate to dismiss her as the sky-after-dark vampire, a flapping, yapping mouthpiece, Abbott's bitch, a menace to the public, a hack who loves the sound of her own voice, and, of course, Peter Cretton. Not an accredited journalist? Peter Credlin is not an accredited human being, wrote one compassionate lefty. Many of these same people had only hours earlier been frothing at the mouth because they perceived US Vice President Mike Pence had not been sufficiently respectful of his female opponent. All this because Peter Credlin dared to forensically question the man responsible for one of the greatest government failures in Australian history. The Terry Sweetmans and Mike Carltons of this world may well care about the qualifications of the questioner, but the rest of us just want answers, regardless of who asks, as to why 800 of our fellow Aussies are now dead. Well, as it turns out, after Peter Credlin asked those questions, the Commission of Inquiry has now requested that Dan Andrews and other ministerial colleagues release their phone records. Keep going, Peter Credlin. Real accredited journalist or not. Just when you thought claims of racism could not get any more puerile, the World Economic Forum has published an article alleging black people are excluded from the outdoors. That's right, hiking is racist. The evidence? Well, a UK author, Rianne Fatinikan, went for a walk in a park and didn't see many black people. White privilege now extends to going outside. The lack of representation in hiking is clear for all to see, Fatinikin said. I wasn't keen on the prospect of venturing out alone or joining a typical hikers group where there'd be nobody I could identify with. This point says far more about the author than it does about the white supremacists guarding hiking trails and the whites-only signs posted along footpaths in order to keep blacks isolated indoors. Why would the author not identify with other humans, regardless of melanin, based on, you know, a mutual love of hiking. The only way she could possibly feel excluded from hiking is if she herself is so racist, she cannot form meaningful relationships with people of different skin colours. Imagine needing to see a reflection of yourself wherever you go. That Fatinikin identifies only with people who look like her is evidence of a problem with her not with the outdoors. But no, black people have been systemically excluded from the outdoors, and so Fatinikin founded the Black Girls Hike Foundation to encourage black women to explore the UK countryside in the safety of sisterhood. So the Manchester resident has decided to tackle exclusion by creating a group that excludes anyone not of black skin. And the World Economic Forum want to champion this. The article doesn't say what precisely it was about the outdoors that Fatinikin believed excluded her. By her own admission, she just didn't want to go walking with people that weren't black. Quote, I'm proud, 
we are challenging stereotypes and showing people that the outdoors is for everyone, end quote. The only words in that quote that could possibly be true are the first two, I'm proud. Walking is for whites has never been a stereotype and forming a blacks only walking group doesn't show that the outdoors is for everyone. Fatinikin complains that walking in parks is not even marketed at black people. What would such a marketing campaign look like? Don't let the racist grass intimidate you. Ignore the white supremacist trees. Open the front door, start walking and keep going, black people. If the marketing campaign doesn't work, perhaps governments should force black people to hike or bribe them with tax incentives. Or maybe whites should be excluded from bush trails until the quota of black people increases. Maybe the local mayors could stand at the end of hiking trails and pat black people on the head as they conclude their walks. Too far? This infantile obsession with skin colour has gone way too far. It's not enlightened, it's stupid. It's not progressive, it's divisive and regressive. A black British hiker looks for a problem that doesn't exist so she can cry racism and the World Economic Forum right on cue shouts, wokey, wokey, rise and shine. Speaking of which, the only thing British walkers are regularly excluded from is the sun. And that applies to people out for a stroll regardless of their skin colour. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 